We are going to uh, turn once again to the book of Nehemiah this morning as we are continuing our study through that book. And this morning's message would be entitled, Leadership Comes with Opposition. And so for the next three chapters as we go through this, you will see that... um, that the leadership that Nehemiah and the people are are confront are opposed in several ways, and so for the next three chapters, it's all about opposition. And so, before we start, let us uh, pray. Well, Father God, we need your grace uh, this morning as we approach your holy word. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. You have given us in your word all that we need for faith and practice. Lord, we appeal to you now, God, the Holy Spirit, to encourage us, to convict us, to correct us if needed, and to comfort us this morning by your grace. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, this morning, our message will come from the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to read the text. Uh, We will make some observations about what is going on in this narrative uh, story. We will then show some connections to the whole of the scriptures. And then we will uh, show its gospel connections. And so I would like to begin by reading the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, chapter 4. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that they were re- the repairing of the walls was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans and their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. 
From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is God's word. So we see and we know this, that the work of God and the workers that God has chosen will face opposition in the world. They will face opposition from the world, and they will face opposition even sometimes from their friends and from their family. And there's a temptation to avoid opposition. There's a temptation to run from the battles that the Lord has placed before us. There's a great desire to run and be tempted from those oppositions. But what is needed in the world and what is needed in the church is godly leaders, those who are steadfast in prayer, those who are constant in readiness and confident of this, confident that the sovereign will of God, that his purposes will never be thwarted. So you see, Nehemiah, he was a leader who remained steadfast on the mission. He was engaging in each battle as the battle came to him in the providence of God. The only battles you can fight are the ones that come to you, right? As each one comes, you must fight them. He's not out searching for a battle. He's not out searching for opposition. But opposition came to him. And when the opposition comes, that was his duty. This is what the Lord has brought me. This is, and I must respond to that which the Lord has brought me. So if uh, most of you guys who are married and your wives might say, if they say what my wife says to me is, you're not very good at multitasking. My wife will say that I have the inability to hear anything she says if I'm checking on a Facebook post, reading an email, or I'm even taking a drink of water. I can't seem to hear her. She'll often say to me things like this, Jeff, you need to listen to me with your face. See, I'm not so good at multitasking, right? And uh, we are easily distracted by all kinds of things. In our Christian lives, our attention is often divided between two really important tasks, aren't they? Uh, Like our attention is often divided by uh, this guard that we seem to want to have and need to have against the enemy. Because we know that we have a real enemy against us and we want to stand guard and be ready to fight against that enemy. And then yet also we still in that fight, we need to focus on what is the ongoing mission of God in our lives, right? We can be so distracted by uh, putting up a defense and a guard against the enemy that we forget the mission. But the idea is that we need to have this balance, right? Where we are aware and on guard against the enemy. But we remain ever steadfast and focused on 
the mission. And so Nehemiah here, he leads the people to be staying steadfast in the mission. The mission was to build the wall. And as we are going to see later, that they built this wall in 52 days. Others had come and tried to build this wall, and it took 100 years, and it still wasn't done. And Nehemiah keeps the people focused in on here's the mission, but also stand guard. Be ready, because the enemy attacks are coming. So he keeps them focused to remain focused on that mission while they stand guard. And I was thinking about this as a, as a pastor, and our elders and I have talked about this uh, from time to time, is that we have to remain focused on the mission that God has called us to, but at the same time, we have to have an eye and an ear and a guard against what wolves might be among us. We constantly have to have two uh, things going on. Are we guarding and protecting God's people? And are we also keeping them focused in on what it is that God has for a mission for us as a church? As John Calvin said, the shepherd has two voices. He has one for the sheep and he has another one for the wolves. And one voice encourages the sheep to stay on mission and to stay on task. And the other would rebu rebuke those wolves who would uh, come in and try to cause us to go astray. For each of us, there are probably people in our own lives who oppose us as we try to main, remain faithful to the gospel and the mission of Jesus. Some enemies that we have in the world are those who would mock our faith. And when they mock our faith, what does it do? It, it, it's, it's an attempt to cause us to fear, an attempt to cause us to doubt and other enemies of our mission are actually people who we love. There are people who we love who come against us in opposition because they have genuine concern in that they think that our mission might be a little too dangerous and that those who are in our families who love us, who are not born again believers in Jesus, think that the price that we pay for the gospel is way too high. And they might come and tell us that, that they think that, it, that it's foolishness, that the things that we engage in are foolishness, and that the, we, you need to get yours. I've I had family members tell me, oh, you don't need to lay your life down for these other people. You don't need to be submissive to this or submissive to that. You need to get yours. You need to get what's coming to you. You need to get what's owed to you. And I say, no. The God of the gospel says I need to lay down my life. And they think that that is too high of a price to pay. Well, in Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to look uh, first in the first three verses. I'm going to look at this a little bit more closely. And we're going to see um, these external worldly opposition and what this world, uh, worldly opposition does in mocking what it is that the mission is that they are on. So I'm going to read the first three verses again. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. 
So we need to remember that as we get this in context, that King Artaxerxes had sent with Nehemiah um, horsemen and uh, soldiers for uh, any battle that might come, that they might get safe passage through into Samaria to these very guys who are mocking them. And when they had first come, right, and they meet Nehemiah in the first place in chapter 2, it says that Sambalat was very unhappy that someone would even inquire about the welfare of the people of Israel. And now, where he's at right now, he's more than unhappy. He's more than unhappy because progress is being made. He and his coalition of opposition, they're actually, they're angry. And so they start to mock the work. This is a feeble attempt to build uh, something they will sh- that will surely come to nothing, they say. You guys are, this is a feeble attempt to build something that is surely going to come to nothing. Look how weak it is. This will never hold up. Now, when does the enemy come to us in those states, right? When we have worked very, very hard and we're very, very tired, Right? And we're very tired and we're worn out. So these guys have been working at this wall for a while. And now here comes the opposition. Oh, look at what you're building. If a fox goes up on that, that thing's just going to fall down. That's really coming to nothing. Well, you see, if we are engaged, we as a people are engaged in the forward move of the gospel, you understand this and probably have already had this happen to you, that you will be, and if you haven't been, you're going to be mocked in the world when you stand for your faith. Christians and the Christian faith are right now currently openly mocked in the news, openly mocked in the court of public opinion, openly mocked in, our, in all the things that we watch on TV and in movies, the faith of Christians is mocked everywhere. Christians are portrayed this way, mindless, foolish bigots who have some faith in this invisible spirit in the sky, and yet they look around the world and see it crumbling around them, and they say, praise God. These people are foolish, mindless idiots who take everything on faith. Well, some of us, before our conversion, we might remember this, the shame of our own mocking, our own mocking voice. We were once counted among those scoffers who were scoffing at those who were believers. And Jesus, he was mocked for your sin when he was being judged upon the cross. In Mark 15, verse 25 says, And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. Even just that statement is a mocking statement, right? They're mocking him. Here hangs King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from that cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Jesus was mocked. And we are among those who mocked him before he converted us. 
and save us. So I want to see here in this text, how should we respond to those who mock our faith? Are we to gather up strength and launch a counterattack? Well, look at Nehemiah's response in verses 4 and 5. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So Nehemiah launches into an imprecatory prayer. So I'm just going to give you a a definition of imprecatory to help. But imprecatory prayers are those that call upon God's judgment against the enemies as the prayer sees it, right? As the person who's praying, they see that God's judgment needs to be called down upon God's enemies. So Nehemiah here, he calls for the judgment upon his enemies. Nehemiah calls on God to judge the enemies who mock the work. Let them suffer the same derision that we have. Charge them guilty, Nehemiah prays. Let their guilt and sin be in front of you always, he continues. Lila, if you would put up the next slide. There are uh, 21 psalms of prayer that David prays against his perceived enemies. If you take some time to read through these and pray through them, what you're going to discover about David's uh, focus when he prays, it doesn't remain on his enemies. David usually begins in this imprecatory prayers, praying for God to judge his enemies and to deliver him. But often these prayers transition into the goodness of God towards him. What God has entrusted him with. And that he has then entrusted, he can entrust himself to God in times of trouble, right? Prayers for God's judgment against our enemies is what uh, Nehemiah does here. Prayers for God's judgment against our enemies for all of those who are in Christ should also do something to us as we might pray for God to judge people rightly. It should also turn our hearts in love and compassion for our enemies, You see, we were once guilty before God. We were once had our sin continually before him. Before we were in Christ, our sin was ever before God. And that is how he saw us in our sin. There was no covering for it. We were too once the enemy of God. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our hearts should break for our enemies. Because without Christ, there is no covering for their sin that is against them. The writing is on the wall for them. There is no escape from God's gaze upon their sinful, rebellious estate. Do you pray against the enemies in the world? Do you pray that God would judge them? I will say that I honestly have and do pray that God would rightly judge the world and judge our enemies. But here's one thing that I have been convicted of this week in this, and I hope that you will hear my heart on this. But do I often turn that prayer into a prayer that God would grant my enemies repentance and faith? That he would grant them what I didn't deserve. That he would grant my enemies repentance and faith. 
just as he has granted it to me, even though I didn't deserve it, even though I didn't earn it. While I was opposed to God, Christ died for me. Do I pray that way for my enemies? Well, I hope that we will uh, pray against the evil that is in the world and at the same time pray for the salvation of those who are opposed to the gospel. Nehemiah here, he prays against his enemies that God would see and that God would judge and that God would champion their cause. And as for Nehemiah and the Israelites, uh, it is it is also time now to keep the hand to the plow, to continue the work in the strength that the Lord provides. Verse six. So we built the wall and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. See, the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people, they desire to come in and cause confusion, to cause fear. They desire to cast doubts on the worthiness of their tasks. They threaten to fight against them. And Nehemiah engages the people here on two fronts. First, the people pray. Second, they stand watch. Pray and watch. Friends, we have been given this a worthy task as well. A worthy task to make disciples of Jesus Christ to all nations. And our time here is very, very short. If you're not looking around and seeing what's going on in the world and going, time is short. Jesus is coming very, very soon. Why do you think all this chaos is, is out there in the world? And I will say this, that I can boldly say this, and I think this is true, that our adversary, the devil, is busy scrambling, grabbing, grasping for any hold that he can get right now. Now is not the time to, to shrink back from that fight. That's the fight that God has given us. And Nehemiah, seeing this in his battle with his people to build this wall, to do what it is that God had called them to do, first of all, he prays. And second of all, they stand watch because our adversary, the devil, wants us to be in doubt and wants to cause fear in us, wants us to be confused as to what's going on in the world. And you know what? As I looked out upon the world and looked at what has gone on since the middle of March, Man, I tell you what, every day I scratch my head in confusion. I read one story that says one thing. I read another that says entirely the opposite thing. I hear from one set of experts who are trained, intelligent human beings saying one thing. Equally trained, intelligent human beings, on the other hand, saying another thing entirely. And I'm taking the two of those things and going, I don't know what to believe. I'm confused. And so probably about a month of this or a month and a half of this as this has gone on. By the time I got to about mid-April, I said, I don't know any of that stuff. And I don't think I'm ever going to find the truth. I just need to focus on what God's word says. The world is lying to me. I don't know what to believe. But I can believe what God says, and I just need to be faithful and obedient to what the Word of God says, and that will be our guide going forward. And so I hope that that has happened for us as we realize that, that we just don't know what's going on in the world, 
And we as a church, we need to engage also on these two fronts. We need to watch and we need to pray. Listen to what Jesus um, says to the disciples in Mark chapter 13 concerning the days that we live in right now as Christ followers. He says in verse 9 of chapter 13, Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before your governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And then in verses 12 and 13, he says, And brother, deliver brother over to death, and his father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my namesake, but those who endure to the end will be saved. You see, as we go about the work that God has called us to, we know that Jesus is coming soon, that righteousness will reign soon, and that the enemy is grasping for all kinds of straws, and we are to be watching and waiting for the Lord's return while we are praying and standing guard against the enemies. In Mark 13, 32, and 33, he says, while we work, we stand guard. He says this in verse 32, but concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do know not what time, when the time will come. You don't know when this time is coming, but it's coming. So be on guard. Watch and pray. And I think about this as, as a church body and as just people of God, as as we look at the church, not just in this particular body, but in churches all around, are we living as if Christ could come at any moment? Are we living in in the time that as Christ could come today? He could come at any moment. So we have two fronts that we need to embrace. If we really embrace that Christ is coming at any moment, watch and pray. Because we don't know the hour he returns, but it could be any moment. Now, we'll see in our text here that opposition to the work, it comes also from, uh, the, it comes outside of the community, but it also comes from inside of the community. Let us look back at Nehemiah chapter 4. We'll look at verses 10 through 14. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Verse 12, at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the people and to the officials, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. See, friends and family sometimes will come at us and dissuade us, dissuade the believer from staying on mission. Those who love us and think that the burdens of the gospel are too difficult. In love, they fear for us. They see the opposition and they are disheartened. The people of Judah say the burdens are too great. The stones that, that are usable, they're under way too much rubble. We'll never be able to build these walls. You need to abandon this work and come home to where there's safety. We all have doubts and fears from time to time in our Christian walk. And you know this, we are outnumbered. The task uh, given to us by the Lord is way beyond our capability. You know that? He gives us this task and says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So he says, go out and do this work. And by the way, you will never save anyone. 
But go out and do this. You need to make, you need to make followers of me. But it's me who's doing the work. You go out and do that. Right? And we, we, we don't get to see successes sometimes when we go out and do what it is that God has called us to do. We don't see immediate success. And it can also just sort of make us shrink back and think, I'm failing. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing it right. And all of those things. We can have people who are with us, who are friends of ours, who are family members, and say, hey, this task is way too hard. There's way too many people in opposition. You need to just come home and rest and, and be with people who love and care for you. Well, sometimes I have found that the enemies of the mission um, are many, and, and they're very discouraging, and they come often from my fellow believers. Those who seldom see possibilities, they, they constantly focus and see the difficulties. You see, this is the reason why the writer of Hebrews encourages us to gather. There's discouragement everywhere. Discouragement from inside, discouragement from the outside. But here's what, what the writer of Hebrews uh, admonishes the church to do and encourages them uh, not to neglect to gather. And he says it for this reason. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Nehemiah reminds the leaders and the people to have no fear of the enemy. Remember, it is the Lord that fights for you, he says. Victory is sure. You fight for one another. You defend your family and your home. Remain confident in God. You see, this is Nehemiah here stirring up the people to love and good works. We have a battle to fight from within. Sin is crouching at the door of all of our hearts. We need each other to remind each other of who we are in Christ. To remind each other of the victory that we have in Jesus. It's just as Caleb was talking this morning about the reason worship is so good to him is because it's a reminder of who God is. Right? And isn't that how we gather with one another? To encourage one another. To remind one another. This is who you are in Christ. This is the battle. It's worthy of fighting. And God is fighting for you. Not to discourage us or dissuade us from the mission, but actually to encourage us and to build us up that we might be stirred up to continue in the work. And that's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's stirring them up to, that they might continue in the work. And for us to love one another well, we must spur one another on. We must not instill fear and condemnation in one another, but encourage one another to stay in the fight. You see, I'm telling you this, that this is the truth. This is why I'm here this morning. I, I'm here for the purpose of trying to stir you up to love and good works that you might hold fast to the gospel of your salvation. That's what I want you to do. Every Sunday when I'm here, I'm here that I want to stir you up to love and good works and that you might hold fast to the gospel that saved you. And this is what I hope for you, that when you come through those doors, that's your reason for being here is that you might stir up your brothers and sisters to love and good works and that they might remember to hold fast to the gospel of their salvation. Are we here for each other in that way? Let us look at verses 15 through 18. When our enemies had heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. 
From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. The people returned to work. They're knowing that God had frustrated the plans of the enemy. Nehemiah then leads the people by dividing them into two groups. One is armed with construction tools and the other is armed with weapons of war. But the leadership uses both hands. In the leadership, they are armed with both. They are builders and they are warriors. Foremen on the job and squad leaders in the battle. In the church, your elders are that way too. They are servants of you on one hand. They are to serve you and lay their lives down for you. And then on the other hand, they are to be your guard, your protector, your shepherd, those who would remove obstacles to your faith from you. Both of those things. A protector on one hand, a servant on the other. We have had over the years wolves come into our congregation among us. Joe can affirm that. We've had them come. And I'm always on the lookout for them. I'm always looking out for those who are wolves, those who would come to destroy the flock. And the the thing that, like uh, John Calvin said, there's one voice for the wolves and there's another voice for the sheep. Many times I have had use, use the voice of warning against the wolves. I've had to use it while still remaining tender to the sheep. It's the twofold front that the godly leader has to fight, right? He has to be on guard, and yet he's a servant of all. Well, let us look at 19 through the end. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at the time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night, and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. You see, the aim of the godly leader here is, and the aim of Nehemiah is to instill confidence in God. He wants to instill his confidence that he has in God, in God's people. And he also wants to instill in them the worthiness of the mission of the people of God whom they serve. Nehemiah lets the people know that he sees and understands the strain that they are under. He knows that the people are most vulnerable to these enemy attacks when they're worn out from what they have already been serving. They're kind of at the point of being worn out, right? They're they're, they're tired and they're vulnerable to the enemy attack from outside. They're vulnerable to the enemy attack from the inside. And he assures them, you can complete this good work if you entrust yourself to the God who fights for you. You will make it all the way. You will make it all the way if you entrust yourself to the God who fights for you. He commands them not to relent, to stand guard by night and to labor by day. The Lord is your strength, he says, and he will fight for you. 
And then he says something really interesting. I hope you caught this. This was really uh, uh, grabbed me uh, this week. He says, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. This is a very interesting thing. The Lord is your strength. If you listen for the sound of the trumpet call, God will rally you together. We're spread out. But when the trumpet goes off, he will rally his people to himself where he will fight for you. The task at hand is tough, right? And in our world, the task that we face is tough. Our government opposes us. A government opposes our God. Society has marginalized us. Friends, family, and neighbors are maybe fearful. We gather with people sometimes who have lost confidence in God. The work is worthy. Salvation is our cause. Jesus has promised that he will be with us all the way to the end of the age. Our God fights for us. We are to watch and pray. We are to stand guard. We are not to lose focus. Jesus is coming soon. And here's this. Listen for the trumpet call. Jesus is coming soon. Listen for the trumpet call. He who fights for you will rally us to himself. I'm going to end with 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a crowd of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. You see, this idea of watching and praying and fighting and engaging in the work and engaging in the battle is listening to for the trumpet sound that Jesus is going to call us to himself. The one who fights for us is calling us to himself. We got to listen. We got to watch. We have to pray. We have to be diligent to the work. And we will always then be with the Lord. Well, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would focus us in on the work at hand, that you would help us to stand guard against the enemy, that we would not grow weary in doing good, Lord, that as we gather each Lord's day together, that you would help us to be those people who would stir one another up to love and good works, that we would engage in the work, that we would do as Nehemiah told them, don't listen to them. Don't listen to the naysayers, but listen and obey the word of God. Lord, help us to be people who are watching and praying, who are stirring up one another to love and good works. Help us to those be those who have our confidence in you, God. Confidence in all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.